0: The culmination of what we have been sharing, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, about some of these kind of big themes that we get to in the Old Testament, all builds it towards, again, that high priest going into the Holy of Holies and offering sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the people. And there's a word, again, kind of, we've been giving you a kind of a key word every Sunday, and the word today is atonement. And we find it for the very first time in Exodus chapter 32. And I just want to unpack that with you for just a little bit. You see, the whole idea of really even our communion service today is really a a vision to look back at the whole idea, the whole theme of atonement. Now, some have broken that word out to help us define it, that, that we can separate like a couple of words that make up that word, that what atonement does for us is makes us at one it, it's the process about how we get back in good standing with God it's through the atonement and when we first read about it it has a lot to do with the interaction that Moses had with God as God was giving the commandments we might know them as the 10 commandments for Israel and and we remembered that As when Moses went up into the mountain, that he was gone for several weeks, is that chaos kind of ensued, right, to all the people. They looked to Aaron, Moses' brother, and said, he's been gone for a long time. We don't know if he's ever coming back. We need another God to help us. And so we realize that we read this first word of atonement as Moses is coming back down off the mountain, And really in the moment, I'm going to read it to you from the Bible, but it would have probably been anything but a guarantee because of the chaos that was happening in the camp of Israel. How is it that God could ever bring these people back to themselves after they had gone off the rails in such a crazy way in which they did? It says that God's anger burned against Israel for their disobedience and their antics around the golden calf that was made. And God said this to Moses, "Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I might destroy them." He said, "Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation." In fact, so what we see almost right from the beginning is God's at this moment just feeling like, "You know what? I'm going to wipe Israel. Like I've done so much for them and just like so quickly they turn their backs on me." Like Like, I do everything for them, but the moment they feel like I'm not doing enough for them, they just turn and look for something else. Man, I don't know anybody else who's ever done that before. Hello? And God said, you know what? I just feel like I'll just wipe them off. And Moses, like he did in the days of Adam and Eve, like he did in the days of Noah, like he spoke to Abraham, he's willing to wipe everything out and start all over again. And that's what he said to Moses. I will make you then into a great nation. But Moses comes to the rescue. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, and when he said this, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with the great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out just simply now to kill them all in the wilderness, to wipe them off the face of the earth? So turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster to your people. Moses goes on, speaking to God. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose later name became Israel. To whom you swore, even by your own self, that I will make you into a great people, numerous as the stars in the sky. I promise you that I will give you a land and inheritance forever. Verse 25 of Exodus 32. So Moses saw the people, again, as he came down off of the mountain, that Aaron had let them run and get out of control, and they became a laughingstock to all of the enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp, and he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the whole tribe of Levites, they were the priests of the tabernacle, those who had dedicated themselves to the things of God. They, they ran to Moses, and most of the people did, but some, in fact, Jesus called them, or God called them stiff-necked. They refused to realize, again, this act of grace and mercy that God was going to bring before them so here they are doing all kinds of evil and sin before the presence of God and Moses comes to the rescue and begins to stand in the gap begins to offer some heartfelt remorse forgiveness on behalf of the people but there's more to it the Bible says the next day Moses said to the people you have committed a great sin but now I and I want you to kind of hold on to that I part but now I will go up to the Lord, and per- perhaps I will be able to make atonement on behalf of your sin. This is the first time we read. You've probably heard the word, but this is the first time that we read it in Scripture. And it's based around the idea that somehow Moses was going to somehow right the ship. It, maybe he felt some responsibility that, hey, I left and, and chaos ensued, and I went before God. So somehow I've got to work to try to get this thing right, and and so he said, let me see what I can do to be able to bring atonement, to get, to get these two opposing sides back together again. And that's really what the 411 of atonement is all about. What it takes to put something that is wrong right. And maybe that's the question today. So pastor, what's the 411 of atonement? What do I need to know? Well, here's the first thing that we need to know. That being sorry won't do it. You see, to get us back to God, the fact is is that our sorrow is not enough. I mentioned to you before, you see, damage had been done. The atonement was the price that had to be paid because something was broken. And although we can be sorry or remorseful, unfortunately, we recognize that doesn't fix the damage. It doesn't restore the relationship. And so, I wonder by way of question, what does it take to bring you and God What does it take to bring us back together, to get God and us back to be at one? Well, there's a lot of people that have tried in some attempt on their own to answer that question. Like, how do I get good with God? How do I get an atonement in my life? Well, let me kind of tell you some more bad news. You can't do it on your own, although a lot of people try. In fact, probably you have tried Depending on yourself won't do it. Moses went before the Lord as a good shepherd of the people. God gave him the task of getting them out of Egypt and moving them through the wilderness and over to the promised land. And I'm sure that times that Moses embodied this role. And again, he stood before the people and said, let me go to God and see what I can do about this. He says this, but now please forgive their sin, O God, but if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. I mean, Moses has taken this, I mean, full bore. He's taken one for the team, right? Like, God, these people, I mean, I realize this gap, this separation, and and if you can let me be the, the middle guy, like if there is some way that I can stand in the gap on behalf of these people, I'll take it on behalf of the team, God simply looked at Moses and to say, as valorous as that is, I'm sorry, Moses, that will never work, simply because you're not good enough. And the truth is, is that for those of us that try to get to God on our own merit, the same answer, the same response is just as true. I'm not here to offend you, but unfortunately, you and I, were simply not good enough either. However, a lot of people think, well, if I just do good... If I just do better than the rest, that that somehow that that God can take notice. And the fact is that God, I'm sure, can take notice of that, but that doesn't repair the damage. Here's what else, is that our works don't get it done either. And a lot of times, and maybe not in this generation, but generations past, like we're really good at being religious... Really good at kind of going through the motions, going through the antics. And, and we were just kind of either silently or maybe even publicly putting check marks on the wall. Like, look what I'm doing for you. How can you not affirm me? How can you not make that an opportunity for us to be at one? In fact, when we read the Bible, this is where Israel went about building that tabernacle that we were talking about. And it said that they worked t- almost 24 hours a day for seven months. I mean, to the minute of details to make sure that almost they're kind of explaining, God, do you see what we are doing here to honor you? Do you see this temple that we are building for you? Do you see the hours that we are putting in? How is it that you could bypass me or bypass us after all of this? And this is, I think, if we boil it down is what they were saying. You see, if we feel bad enough for long enough, then somehow that will bring us back together. And again, that's where... Some of us continue to live even today. Like listen, I'll I'll not only be sorry, but like I'll, like whatever it takes, I'll just keep extending this or I'll keep showing up, I'll keep doing all of this stuff, but yet the truth is, is that our heart remains unchanged. You see, what God was trying to show Moses, as much as he was trying to do his very best, it was still in the gray, it was still in the shadow of who was yet to come. On this communion Sunday, for us to realize that the only sacrifice that God was willing to accept was that of which was holy. The reason why Jesus came, that there must be a perfect sacrifice. But here's what Leviticus chapter nine, verse twenty three, it's just kind of a retell of this same story that's happening in Exodus. You see, the people I'm sure were lost in the moment to say, I <laughs> I don't know what else to do then. Like, if, like if, if Moses couldn't pull this off, if he couldn't be the mediator, if, if, well, like if we can't work at it, if I can't do everything that, that, the above and beyond, if I can't work my way there, like I, what else is there to do? And this is what God told Moses, that after the temple, the tabernacle was completed, he instructed Aaron to go and to find the perfect lamb. The Bible says a lamb without spot or blemish. And it was time to consecrate again back at the Ark of the Covenant. It was time to sacrifice on behalf of the people. What God wanted them to know, again, it was still a shadow of the light that was to come. But the only way that their sins could be forgiven, they couldn't earn it, they couldn't do it on their own merit, they couldn't have a big, awesome leader, and and hopefully that he was good enough to get it done for them. The only way is when they took the Lamb And Aaron was instructed to sacrifice it and to go into the Holy of Holies and to sprinkle the lamb on the mercy seat of God. And the Bible says this, that as Aaron went into the tent of meetings, it was often called, that as he came out after presenting the sacrifice at the Ark of the Covenant, that then Moses came and he blessed the people. And the Bible said, and again, the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the people. It was a pretty dramatic scene in the moment to realize of the effort of everything that was going on and nothing was working. I tried, I tried, I tried, and it just failed, 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 failed. What is it going to take? What is it going to happen? Everything that I've been able to come up with and still nothing works until they offer the sacrifice. And in a moment, in an instant, everything changed the glory of god was hidden but now when the blood was applied on the mercy seat of god the glory of the god the glory of the lord appeared on behalf of all of the people again you see it was going to be a sign from that moment forward that nothing but the blood of jesus nothing can help us nothing can save you nothing can change you nothing can transform you nothing can make the wrong right nothing can bring you at atonement at onement with god but Jesus Christ and him alone. Now here's the amazing thing, is it kind of then, kind of filters down to you and I. You see, the sacrifice that God wants you and I to have, the sacrifice has been made complete in Christ, but there is still a sacrifice on your behalf and my behalf. And fortunately, like I said, it's not our blood, but our sacrifice is a repentant heart. You see, the difference that the Bible teaches is that, that remorse and repentance are not the same thing. You see, remorse is that we're sorry, but we don't have to change. It's recognizing, I guess, if we could say it this way to a lot of people, it may just be simply that I'm sorry that I got caught. You see, unless there's change, we'll only ever abide in a life of remorse. And we'll never be at one with God. You can be sorry, but again, I'm here to tell you that the gospel says that it's just not enough. What sacrifice brings to you and I is a repentant heart. The difference of repentance is, is that I'm sorry for the actions that I have done. And I turn from that. Somebody say yes. I turn from that and I begin to move in a new greater direction in my life the right direction for my life here's how david said it in psalms 51 it's almost a little counterintuitive to everything that we learn about in the time of moses but moses was acting on behalf of the people david helps us to realize what needs to be happening in each of our individual hearts he says this to god you do not delight in sacrifice Well, that's not totally true in the big picture, right? Because the gospel story at the beginning was that it was by way of sacrifice. But we're not talking about corporately on behalf of all the people. David was talking about, God, this is between me and you. You don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't even take pleasure in burnt offerings. Well, the truth is is that God did. That was the mode, right, for Israel to get... To be one. That's what we just read. So what is David trying to say? He's saying, my sacrifice. Everybody say, my sacrifice. My sacrifice. You see, the whole picture operates on God's sacrifice over us. But yours and my individual connection with God has to be based on everything that God has done specifically for you. And that is through Christ and Him alone my sacrifice oh god is what a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart god you will never despise that you see the hope is is that today david got to the heart of the matter and for you and i to continue to move through life as we have today is simply to recognize that christ has paid it all christ has paid it all the work is finished But you see, our relationship with God doesn't solely ride on the coattails of everything that Christ has done for us. It's kind of like the blood in the day of Passover, is that they could have killed the lamb, but until the blood was what? Applied, does everything go into effect. And the truth is, is that God has done everything for you in Christ, but until you and I accept Him. Until you and I believe in all of our hearts that we are asking him to be the Lord of our life. The king of our life. How do we do that? I need to have a repentant heart. You see, my remorse, being sorry is not enough. I've got to change. And my hope for you and, and me today is that when we come to the table, when we come to this moment of communion, and we really, as, as I think we've done The worship today is to recognize we honor what God has done for us. Is that it's not based upon a service. It's not based upon some activity that we have done. It's based because today I went before God and I've asked him, I need my heart. I need my heart to be right. Hey, Drew, maybe you can come back with the band. I'm going to close with this today. I think that everything that we have experienced and everything that we have walked through personally today has been exactly how I was simply trusting God just for him to direct our hearts and our lives. And I just want to finish by rating you just an amazing story. I'll just read this and we'll be done today. So again, maybe just a little more moment of focus or attention to this. Early Saturday morning on November 12th, 1986, Jamie Estep was traveling from her home in Stillwater, Oklahoma to work the morning shift at the restaurant in where she was employed. As she rounded the last curve before she would turn into work, a car came traveling in her lane at over 90 miles an hour. Jamie swerved but couldn't avoid the oncoming vehicle and was hit head-on on the driver's side of her car. A young, vivacious teenager with bright blue eyes and even a brighter future was killed instantly. The driver of the speeding vehicle was Lucas Jones. He was coming home from an all-night party with his friends, and he was drunk. While he was thrown from his car at the point of impact, he walked away from the accident with some scrapes and bruises ...and a broken arm. Lucas wasn't a bad kid. In fact, he was an honor roll student. He was a member of the band. But on that particular night, he had way too many beers... ...and he made a tragic mistake... ...by getting behind the wheel of his car. At his trial, witnesses testified of Lucas's achievements... ...in the classroom his service to his community. In fact, he was even involved at his local church. The prosecuting attorney reminded the court that while all of those facts about Lucas's life might be true, nonetheless, he still got into a car and drove at an excessive amount of speed while intoxicated, and he took the life of an innocent victim that punishment was needed. The court waited in anticipation for the judge's verdict in the case. And when the judge spoke from the bench, he said to a remorseful Lucas Jones, As the witnesses have testified, you are a decent young man. And from your own statement, I realize that you are truly sorry for the crime that you have committed. I want to believe that. And as you have told me, you will never touch alcohol ever again for the rest of your life. But, how many know there was a but coming? But after a long pause, he said, a young innocent girl is dead because of your irresponsibility. And there is nothing that you can do to bring her back. Her friends, her family are going to mourn her loss forever. So along with his sentence of a prison term, the judge continued, and this is the part that got me in the story. He said, I also sentence you that for the rest of your natural life, every year on November 12th, I order you to go back to the scene of the crime where you slammed into Jamie's car, and I want you to think about your actions. Son, I don't ever want you to forget what you have done. I want you to recall the poor judgment that night that took the life of this innocent girl and the part that you played on it. I thought, wow, what, a, what an added part of a sentence to that. But here's what I came to realize You see, that's exactly why we came to communion today. See, the truth is, is that we are no different than Lucas Jones. You see, it was our sin that ultimately took Jesus to the cross. It ultimately made the point that he would have to die for our irresponsibility, for our sin Whether we want to believe it or not, it was our actions that caused the Son of God to come and die for us. He took our place. And today is a day, hopefully, that is in our spirit today that I never want to forget. I never want to let it leave my spirit that I am here today because of something that someone did for me. It was my mistake. It was my evil. Again, like I said earlier, if if I could pay for it, maybe some of us at part of our life would say I would gladly do that. Only to come to realize that the gospel says that we're just not good enough to make it happen. And so God sent his son to bring you and I to a place of atonement at one mint. So when we receive Christ, when we ask him to come into our life, everything can change. Heaven that was a mystery now becomes my homeland. My thought and desires for things that were temporary now are being revolutionized and changed because all I want is the hope of eternity. And so I trust that today, in these moments of remembrance, that we never forget... I hope that February 18th will be cause for you to look back in these next couple of days to say, I took a moment to remember everything that Christ has done for me, and I never want to forget, I never want to forget the sacrifice, the innocence that that he took on my behalf to pay for my sin. Today, church, I want to close, and I want to pray over you this morning. I pray that this work of Christ, this hope of heaven is something that you and I will live with every day of our life. That our attention, our taste, will leave the earth and have a desire for the things of heaven. That our attitudes, our angers, our frustrations, our our struggle in our relationships, all of these things that we try to fix... As Moses said, let me see if I can go and do something about it. Listen, there's nothing that you and I can do about our situation other than as we did today, come to Christ. And to say, God, I realize I can't do this. You've done everything for me. And today is a day for me to remember how good you have been. How amazing your grace is. That today we're glad, amen, that there's still a mercy seat. There's still a mercy seat for us. Today the glory of the Lord came back. When Moses and Aaron walked into the tabernacle and they offered the sacrifice, the glory of the Lord came back to Israel. Today I pray that God's glory will rain down on you for those of us that have recognized today, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm covered Because of what Christ has done for me. I'm not going to be remorseful. I'm going to be repentant. I'm changing. I'm ever changing for God to do something even more in my life. Yes? Amen. Pray with me. Father, I ask, Lord, for your covering to be upon this church family today. I thank you for not just the hope of heaven, but I thank you for the assurance that Christ has already come and he has paid the price. I thank you today that my hope is in him and him alone. I realize today that I can't do any of it, that I can't work to make it happen. God has already done the work for me through Christ. What was a shadow at one point in my life? Today there is a shining light in my heart. Listen, if there were sacrifices, I would bring them. If there were burnt offerings, I would go after that. But God, what you're really after is my heart. You're after my heart. And so, God, we've taken some time, some extra time today to have you examine our hearts. God, it's not a hope of ours to be perfect. We know that's not going to happen in this life, but our hope is that we are imitators of you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as I follow Christ, you can follow me, but he, he's our example. He's our great hope. So, God, I pray that not only this week, but in all of our days... That we are reminded as today that we go back to the scene of the crime and that we are reminded that, that God you paid my price you took my sin when it was nailed to the cross today I get to live a life of being redeemed oh how I love to proclaim it amen redeemed by the blood of the precious lamb of God so God help us in this week to know that we are blessed of the father Help us to live a life not remorseful, but repentant. Change us, help us, perfect us to become more like Jesus each and every day. So God, thank you for these moments that we get to adore, love you, that we get to be a part of the great family of God today here at Real Life. And so let your blessing, let it remain on your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.